Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. I thought they were brave, even with the kind of Stormers kind of fairly hard up defence. I, I thought they'd playmate. They, they trusted themselves to be able to find holes and to find gaps. And they did that consistently. And I, I was so pleased. I thought they were way the better team in the semi-final and the final. I suppose the key thing for them now is to try and figure out how they put teams away a little bit more clinically. That'll be the next step forward if they're talking about Heineken Cups. And I think they should be. I always think Munster should be, but you know, I wouldn't have said that at the start of the season, to be honest. Munster are champions once again after claiming the URC title in dramatic fashion against the Stormers in Cape Town last weekend. It capped a sensational turnaround for Graham Roundtree's men after Munster were left scrambling for Champions Cup qualification as recently as six weeks ago. Three away knockout wins later, and instead the 12-year trophy drought is finally over. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast. Sadly, this is our last show of the season, but between Munster's big win and today's announcement of the Ireland World Cup training squad, we have plenty to discuss. Will Slattery here with you. I'm delighted to be joined by Keen Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald. And Keen, I'll go to you first. You know, we've had John for plenty uh, of Munster postmortems over the years since we've had this podcast. Most of them have been pretty grim. Today, you get to come on and bask in, I suppose, Munster's victory, a great win over the Stormers in South Africa to do it the way they did it with all those away games getting that late try and having the great scenes in Tomlin Park at the homecoming. How would you sum up the last few days for Munster as a province? Obviously been brilliant. I mean, from a Munster point of view, uh, Will, you're right. Yeah, like we've done so many postmortems. So, so much has been written and said over the years. And, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. And they did it the hard way. Like you said, um, you hear Graham Roundtree touching on it, that it probably won't be done again in terms of finishing off the season with six uh, six games on the road. But um, we reference this in terms of Leinster in, in going into the Champions Cup final. But Munster were really battle-hardened um, towards the end of the season because because their backs were to the wall. They had no choice, really, but to play their first team, and they reaped the rewards for that. So um, it's been brilliant. Like, it, Look, it's brilliant for Irish rugby as a whole. I mean, it's good for business. We need all of the provinces to be strong. Um, you can imagine that what this is going to do for the likes of Leinster now going into next season. I think it really stokes up the, the rivalry, which is no bad thing. I think there was a bit of... Doom and gloom, I'd say, after Leinster lost the Champions Cup final and, you know, we were talking about it as well. What does it mean? Does it mean anything for Ireland's World Cup hopes? And then a week later, you have Munster winning a URC title against all the odds, you'd, you'd have to say. So this it's a huge boost for Ireland when they go into camp, I think, that Munster are now um, going in there in the back of winning a trophy as well. And um, there was just so much to, to like, I think, about the performance. There was so much to like about what they've done over the last few weeks. You mentioned the the homecoming wheel that they had in Toma Park on Monday and like it looked like the the good old days of, of Munster rugby and it's just brilliant to see. You can see that the connection is is back now um with the supporters and the fans. I don't think it had totally gone away, but I do think it had been damaged slightly over the last couple of years. I don't think I think Munster fans have are most of them anyway are pretty realistic in terms of their expectations, but it wasn't just that they weren't winning silverware for the last few years. It was the style of rugby that they were they were playing it with. Um, it's just been a total transformation this season in terms of the game plan, like the attack under Mike Prendergast. It's just night and day compared to what they were playing last season. The defence under Dennis Leamy has really, really come on. And the young players, um, which I think is a massive, massive part of this success, it's something that I've been writing about over the last few days that, you know, you have your Peter O'Mahony's, your Connor Murray's, your Keith Earls and Stephen Archer's. And it's absolutely brilliant to see them, you know, getting their hands on a, another medal. I know not all of them had a prominent role to play in 2011 when they, they last won the, the Celtic League or whatever it was back then. But you just have this infusion of youth. And I've been banging this drum throughout the whole season that it's been the big kind of sea change. It's changed the culture behind the scenes that... 
no one is droppable is I sorry no one is undroppable in that um in that monster squad and that was definitely the case over the last couple of years where it didn't really matter um how well you were playing if you were an Ireland international you were going to be starting um so you guys like Mike Haley I know he's not exactly the youngest but like Calvin Nash um Shane Daly Dermot Barron all these kind of guys Craig Casey like they've been really really important to, to Munster's success and the age profile of them is really encouraging as well so that makes me think that there's plenty more to come from this squad going forward this doesn't feel like the, the end point of a really long and arduous journey like I mean it's only year one of the Graham Roundtree project as well which is just just gives I think Munster supporters so much hope and belief going forward so before we get kind of stuck into the game itself will i think that's the the bigger picture stuff i mean you see the scenes the amount of young people that were in Thoman park on monday night and i don't think you can underestimate how important that is i mean limerick rugby has you know hasn't been as strong as it used to be over the years recently and there's lots of different factors for that but um you look at how strong the limerick hurlers have been over the last few years and that's been the attractive sport i think for a lot of young people growing up because they can see success and young people are pretty impressionable you know if they see people Keen Lynch or Garrod Hegarty, whoever, you know, winning all Ireland titles with Limerick, they want a piece of that. Whereas now, when you see homegrown Munster guys lifting the URC trophy last weekend and bringing it back to Toma Park. I think it's going to do wonders, Will, for the whole for the whole province, just to to lift the mood and to say that you know Munster are are back kind of where they belong. And now, that, like next season, they need to back it up. I think by they're already talking about targeting the Heineken Cup. It'll be interesting to see. You know, they're obviously going to get a a good seeding on the back of being URC champions. So it's all it's all rosy in the garden, um, Will. And I think yeah, we have to give them absolutely immense credit because I think from the top down, they've really put proper systems in place now in terms of the coaching staff like guys like Ian Costello behind the scenes Garold Prendergast Mike Prendergast uh, brothers coming in next season to take over the academy so they've got a lot of good guys on board there which bodes well I think yeah, look, there's so much to kink over there in terms of the positives and, and like even the manner in which Munster finally won that trophy, like going to South Africa, playing the rugby they played, should have won by more. Similar story to the Leinster semi-final probably, played like the vast majority of the rugby, created a lot of chances, showed really good ambition and that's what's almost as pleasing. Like again, I, I w- even if they had come up just short, I still would have been like really enthused about what, how they were playing, what they were trying to do. Now, obviously, winning is is a huge bonus and the ultimate, but it's the manner in which they kind of went about their business this season as as it, as it progressed is what's almost as impressive to me is ending the drought. They're actually playing really good stuff now that people want to watch. And obviously, that was a real bugbear of, of, of the last couple of years. Not only were they not winning, but they were playing a style that like people were struggling to get behind. I actually took a different tint on it. I think, yes, the young players have been important for them. But if you think about the last couple of weeks and who actually played well for them and who stood up, I actually thought it was the senior players, weirdly enough. I thought Peter O'Malley's been unbelievably consistent. I thought Conor Murray has, had, has been resurgent. Um, I thought Fekatoa was brilliant towards the end of the season. I, like, And he would have been one of their senior kind of players, like their, their kind of stars. Um, you know, I thought I thought Stephen Archer, like, I, I, did you, like Stephen Archer, Ty Byrne, these guys, I thought they were the kind of key to turn this around. Uh, and then you added in a few of those little bits of youth, your, your, your Crowleys, your Nashes, um, you know, your Barons, these guys. Hodnett was good, I thought, as well on the weekend. I, I, I thought it was kind of the senior guys that kind of, wove it all together you know trusted in the game plan backed themselves and they went out to play rugby and they were aggressive and they were um i I just thought they were they were brilliant i was so pleased with them last couple of weeks um but but i thought the senior guys were were the real surprise factor for me will and i thought that was the key difference for them i thought klein was brilliant as well we'll get we'll go to the irish squad i think he's really unlucky not to get in there um and um yeah, I was just so, so pleased with them. And, and I think you're right. I think to, to touch on your question, I just thought, the, like, if you think about how stingy they were defensively, having had a little bit of a blip just before the kind of qualifications or the kind of those key matches in South Africa where they conceded 100 points over two games, it was perfect timing for that. It seemed to just refocus the minds in that area. And they were really, really stingy. I mean, they made, I think they only made 90 tackles, but their tackle percentage was still way higher 
um than or not way higher but it was higher than uh, than the stormers it was 91 percent, i think which is a great stat particularly when you're making less tackles they had 60 percent possession as well um and i thought they were really they were good with the ball weren't they i thought they were really i thought the forwards were excellent i thought the decision making i thought they were brave even with the the kind of stormers kind of fairly hard up defense i, I thought they you know they did they play make they they trust themselves um to be able to find holes and to find gaps and they did that consistently and i, I was so pleased i thought they were way the better team in the semi-final and the final um i suppose the key thing for them now is to try and figure out how they put teams away a little bit more clinically that'll be the next step forward if they're talking about heineken cups and i think they should be i always think monster should be but you know i wouldn't have said that at the start of the season to be honest but um I think that's the next step for them. They, they, what, what I liked is that, um, you know, if you compare them to the other two provinces that that looked a little bit toothless at times when they got into uh, the twenty-two, and Munster looked a little bit like that too. Versus Leinster, who looked so dangerous in there, um, you know, Munster had the grit versus the other two to stick it out when the going got tough. They were able to rely on that kind. Of, you know, they always talk about defense wins championships and. I still think that was the big bedrock on which the success on which the success was was built on. But you had to marry that with a bit of they had to have the ball. I thought they owned that. I thought their work at the breakdown and their physicality in the tackle, uh, and and I thought they were way more accurate as well. I thought versus Leinster, say, who I thought were a little bit wild and they were off the line kind of as hard as Leinster. I just thought Munster were a little bit more relaxed and composed in the tackle, and they completed way more, which is very evident. And you look at their tackle completion percentage as well. And and, and Kane, I don't know if you any thoughts on any of that but but that just just to to tie off the point i was so pleased with them and i talked the last couple of weeks about leinster and the worry i had about you know obviously i'm a leinster supporter i'd be i have to be unbiased when i'm talking about them here but um i think you never give a team a you know you you play your best team and knock out rugby and i think keen's absolutely right about the impact this will have down the line seeing the little bit of success what that breeds into the the support the fan base but also into the actual the the team itself and the belief they got um and they looked battle hardened towards the end i was and they looked far the better team it was it was a brilliant performance and i was so pleased for so many big characters to get some silverware eventually i think that's been long overdue for for players who are too good to have gone through a whole career without getting some um, a trophy in their hands so brilliant stuff yeah, it's teed up so nicely for next season as well. As Keen mentioned, that Champions Cup draw, they're going to be a top seeding. And it's all about stacking, you know, wins early in the pool stages and getting those home games in the, in the knockout stages. That's why Leinster have been so good at getting to the latter stages because they're good in the pool stages with good draws. Munster will have that now. And we, we'll touch on it later, but the World Cup training squad, the only positive, I suppose, of Munster not having as many players as they would like is that they'll have more time in pre-season to, to layer their attack more, to build on the game plan that they've implemented this season. And as you mentioned, like not putting away all those chances in the semi-final and final, you've won a trophy, but you're kind of coming away thinking there's so much room for growth here. Like if we had actually nailed our execution, we could have been even better. So it, all of a sudden it looks you know, really, really rosy, as Keane mentioned, going into next season. Keen, anything that Luke said that you want to pick up on? I, yeah, like I suppose the point I was making about the young players was it was the blend between the two. There's no doubt that the experience oh, sorry, had yeah, yeah, played yeah. their role, but I just thought that the trust in the youth and having that blend, it was just such a nice blend. And that's that's what happened throughout the season. There was no sense of these young players being thrown into the deep end going to Cape Town for a final because they'd been playing all along in the big games over the course of the season. So that hadn't happened in the past, and I think it created a bit of... Um, complacency I think within the squad whereas now people genuinely believe that they're fighting for their places every week you know they've gone through the whole rigmarole of changing the way they've trained and they've been saying it you know banging the drum all season about how they're training faster but I think you can see that in terms of how they're playing and also their fitness levels their fitness levels at the weekend again was were really really impressive I thought the defense was was outstanding and I thought the the, there was there was just so many like key moments I thought throughout the game. Um, obviously they threw the it, Anton Frisch throws the intercept and Manny Libach goes to half the pitch and scores a try totally against the run of play. Munster were all play, were playing all the rugby, but Jack Crowley's kick to the corner. I mean to eke out every last centimeter in that was just outstanding. And then 
Munster mauled the Stormers and they end up conceding a penalty. I thought that was a massive psychological win because it allowed them to kick the ball back into the corner and then they score a try. So that's two mall successes you get in an area of the game that the South Africans pride themselves on. So I thought that was a massive, massive psychological the big, win. The big chase was impressive, Keen, as well, wasn't it? Do you, know, do you know what I thought was really, when you talk about the fitness, and just to, to tie in with your point, I hope I'm not interrupting you too badly in train of thought, but just to maybe a, a penny for your thoughts on do you remember the? I think it was a turnover, and I think um, in the in the twenty two, I can't remember what minute it was, but there had been a really long passage of play, very open, and Munster kind of kicked it through. I don't know whether it was Nash or someone kicked it through from inside the twenty two, and Tyburn, the the pumping the legs up the pitch. But even though he was doing that, and he'd been pushing and shoving big guy, big South African bodies for whoever it was. I'm going to say it was around the 60, 65 minutes or so when the game was in the balance. Um, chasing down, I think it might have been Libok he chased down and um, ended up kind of the ball squirting loose. I think he might have made another tackle, but I think Stephen Archer was maybe the next guy up or he was very close to maybe the third or fourth guy there. Jeremy Lockman was there as well, I think. the two Jeremy Lock- like It was just, that was what I thought was you talk about the fitness levels and the battle-hardened kind of nature of this, of qualifying rugby. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's so important, but that's definitely played a part in it, that match fitness. Like, there's nothing that can kind of replicate that kind of three or four minutes of defending close to your line, under pressure, and then all of a sudden, you are doing a 50-meter dash, like chasing a couple of backs. And it was sure, all look, at, look at, um, look at um, Gavin Coombe's block in that led to the... The, the crucial try like that's at the what the 74th 75th minute at the end and he got through as he always does an absolute mountain of work so that's just an illustration I think of how because obviously you know we, we don't get to see what's going on behind closed doors and training but I think that's an illustration of the fact that they have been playing differently they ha- are training differently they have been training at a higher tempo because that's the game plan that they wanted to play but one other quick point I, I, in terms of the defence which I thought was massive was just before half time that Munster saw out that kind of mini period of pressure because I was actually kind of thinking back to the Champions Cup final, the Leinster-La Rochelle game, when La Rochelle scored that try before half time, And I know they only go in eight points down, but like that was a big, big win for them. And I think if the Stormers had scored just before half time, it could potentially have been a different game. And you touched on Jean Klein there earlier, Luke, and he was at the ticket at spoiling the spoiling the mall. He was just outstanding again. Like he's been brilliant um this season. But I think that was another big, big win. So all these little psychological wins, I think, will add up. And that's ultimately what happened because even when the Stormers scored their try after half time and Mike Haley's in the bin, you're kind of thinking, okay, this this could, you know, this could start getting really tricky now. But Munster hung in there and the manner of the try that they scored, like, I mean, I know it's been said a couple of times, but I, I had, I, I was looking back and it's straight after the game and 14 of the 15 players, Munster players on the pitch touched the ball, some of them several times. And to, to, you know, I was, I was about to say the dreaded phrase, trust the process. Uh, so I'm going to give myself lines for that after after the podcast. <laughs> but to, for Munster, though, not to have retreated into their shells when the pressure was on and actually to have trusted everything that they've done across the course of the season, I thought was unbelievably pleasing. I can't imagine how satisfying that must be from Mike Prendergast's point of view, Graham Rountree's point of view. They stuck with it and they ran through multiple phases. Like the ball and play time was, I think, nearly three minutes for it. And like I said, 14 of 15 players touching the ball and players being comfortable at that stage to throw, like they threw a couple of offloads in it and they got the just reward. And then the man of the moment, Jack Crowley, steps up and kicks over a touchline conversion as if, you know, he was down in Bandon, you know, kicking on a Sunday morning. Like that was such an important kick as well because it meant that the Stormers needed a converted try to win. Rather but than even the crossfield kick and everything, like he yeah. was so good, wasn't he? Like he is, he's so brave. Like I just felt like he, there was never a point in the game where as a young player, I was thinking sometimes in a final, they don't want the ball. He looked like he wanted the ball every single time. Like he thought, he believes he's the guy that's going to make something happen every single time. And, do you know what he has? He looks like he believes that, but he also looks like he's able to understand that he doesn't need to do that every time. I thought his decision-making was excellent on the weekend. If you think about how many times he demanded the ball, but also how many times he played the simple front door option on those. Do you know when you have... The temptation is is when you have a little bit of time to continue to throw the ball out the back. 
his guys, he used his soldiers, those front eight guys. Like Johnny Sexton does this so so well as well. That little dump, that that you know, you, you throw the eyes out to the to the runner out the back, but then you just throw to the guy taking the short line off. He did that all day. He threw a few guys as a quarterback sometimes has to do into a big tackle with a guy who was ready for them. But there was a couple of times where they eked out an extra yard and they just kept the Stormers just a little bit on the back foot, just a little bit hesitant, having to respect the, the guy who was taking the short line off the ball player all day. It's a brave thing to do. You need guys around to believe in you, to continue to take that and to be brave. Um, it was a team effort, but I thought Crowley speci- specifically to me was brave all day and you need that. You you just need that from your out half. You know, you he need has that to triple threat Luke, doesn't he, in terms of the kick pass and the run he has. And he's got the run game too, yeah. which is very important. And let, let's not forget, and people hate, I think, when I say this, but his defense it's so important that you don't have a weakness in your defense. How nice is it to just be snug in there with that 10 12? Like Fekatoa came into his own completely in the second half of the season. He looked like a, a different player. I know you said there seemed to be a lot on his shoulders at the start of the year. I know what that was there a, I don't know, was there a hurricane or was there, I can't remember what, there was some incident at home in Tonga, wasn't there? And he was quite involved in that. And I don't know if the pressure of all those kind of things maybe made his start to, to a Munster, and plus as well, new management, etc. I'm sure there was lots of things. He'd been away with Tonga as well, I think, and he missed the start of Munster pre-season. There was, he just looked that, a little yeah. bit interrupted, did not look himself. Whereas I thought to the second half of the season, it's a shame to see him go now. Because he's been sensational the last he's year. He's been, his physicality will. Like, you know, yeah, he's running oh, over people, he's smashing them. like he's, he's been playing like he did with the All Blacks. He put in on Dion. Oh, how nice is it when you see a guy going down winded? There is no nicer feeling, and the, and when you hear the ooh, you know you can hear there's a little sound <laughs> always. It is such a pleasant feeling, and it'll give all the guys around you lift. And plus, I couldn't believe like it must have been a serious hit because in South Africa, generally, if you don't, you normally just get up and just you know mooch away somewhere and just try and stay out of the game for a little bit. He couldn't get back up, and he's a hardy book that lad. So it must have been an absolute peach of a hit. Um, so himself and Frisch, I thought, like, you know, I mentioned it last week about, you know, uh, Henshaw and Ringrose, you know, you need a good centre partnership. It's so, so important because they are kind of generally the guys who are marshalling the end of that line. And they're the guys who are kind of talking to the middle of the line and kind of generally getting them, getting them to put pressure on the opposition and be brave. If you have certainty about what's outside you, it makes your job an awful lot easier. So those guys were kind of key to me. Plus, they were so physical. I mean, they were burying guys the last couple of weeks. So um, they were also a key part. I mean, look, everyone's everything sounds like it's a key part now, but there generally was a lot of heroes on the pitch. And I think I think they'll be sorry to see him go now, whereas I think maybe at a point this season, they were like, Jesus, like we're probably paying him 253 or whatever, 100, and it's probably a big part of the wage bill. And you're kind of thinking, you know, we haven't really seen much for that. But at the end of the season... Wow, I thought he really earned his keep, and and he was a key component, and he 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 really stood up. He looked like an all black, I thought, at the end of the season, um, and um, was a very very important little cog in the in, in the monster wheel. So, yeah, interesting to see now how the replacements do. That 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 looks like actually at the time that looked like a good decision to let that go or to let him go, um, but now you're kind of thinking, oh, geez, I wonder would it be. Could you keep him? <laughs> but we'll see. Big shoes, big. It's it's all of a sudden it's big boots to fill. Whereas really you were thinking, oh, let's get some new blood in there and try something else. Yeah, it's a, well, worth paying tribute to Ty Byrne as well coming back in from injury. I think his three games he's played were the three knockout games. I think he started all three. He was brilliant as well, especially after missing you know the second half of the Grand Slam campaign to get back and to kind of propel them to a trophy. You know, I, I know, Keen, you, you fired in a few quotes after the game and he spoke well, saying when he first joined, he didn't think it would take this long for them to be to, to win a trophy. And he kind of got his second pro to or URC after winning with the Scouts a few years ago. You know, the Jack Crowley piece that Luke mentioned, Keen, like how big is it going into the World Cup, do you think, for him to deliver those two performances back to back? Because, you know, we've been chatting on this podcast how even though Graham Rountree had handed him the keys, I personally hadn't felt that he was like, you know, na- you know, shooting the lights out. I thought Ben Healy was playing better at him. But these last two weeks, he's been unbelievable. And as you mentioned, he's a triple threat. But he also has that fourth kind of intangible out half quality, the kind of that Raj, you know, there was that, you know, kind of two photos of him celebrating the drop goals. He does have that kind of swagger or that kind of mentality that like out top out halves, you know, often have. And great time to find it heading into this World Cup training period in the next while. 
yeah, there's a reason why if you speak to any of the senior Ireland guys, there's a reason why they speak very highly of Jack Crowley already. He's only been in there what seems like a wet week, but he's made such a big impression. It's not easy, obviously, to go in as a young young player into a, a pretty much a settled squad like that, but he's gone in. He's just been such a sponge. I mean, even you remember back to when he first went in, he was running the tee for Johnny Sex, and they, they trusted him to deliver those messages and stuff. And seemingly, he's just been brilliant behind the scenes. So everything you hear has been amazing really and I suppose he started to back that up over the last couple of weeks in terms of what it means for the World Cup it's 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 very very interesting I think because I know we're going to get on to talk about the the squad that Andy Farrell has picked and you know Andy Farrell is a very I would say loyal selector I mean if you've delivered for him in the past he doesn't forget that and that's been seen with a couple of guys who have made the squad so you know, Ross Byrne obviously featured more prominently than Jack Crowley did in the Six Nations. And I don't think that that will be forgotten about by Andy Farrell. Of course, it won't be. But it's hard to ignore a guy who is in form, you'd have to say. I know there's obviously a lot of water to cross under the bridge by the time we get to the World Cup. But when whenever the Ireland squad link up for the first time in three weeks or whatever it is, Jack Crowley's going to be bouncing in there full of full of confidence. So, um Personally, I think he has shaken up the, the pecking order. Whether that means he's ahead of Ross Byrne, I don't know. But I think he's absolutely posed a serious question then that probably wasn't there a, a few weeks ago because of how well Ross Byrne has done. So I suppose it depends what way Ireland want to go. I think I fully agree with what Luke said there when he kind of made the comparison to to Johnny Sex in terms of how flat he plays to the line and, you know, how he's really able to suck in defenders. Like, I mean, we, uh, Luke kind of touched on how tough he is in a defence, but he's not afraid to take a hit as well. Like, he, he's like Johnny Sex and he he delays his pass to the last possible second. He took a couple of big, big shots at the weekend, but allowed those around him to be put into space. And that's the way Ireland plays. So, it's going to depend on, obviously, you know, everyone hopes Johnny Sexton will be fit throughout the World Cup, but given his, you know, his injury history, there's no guarantee with that. The sound, this, It sounds like he's going to be back for, the, I think, the England warm-up game, all going well is what they're hoping. But, I mean, if you come to a World Cup pool game against South Africa or Scotland, and if Johnny Sexton isn't available, I think it's a, it's a big decision to make. Obviously, you'll have a bigger body of work to go off in terms of Ross Byrne and Jack Crowley, but I think in terms of a like-for-like like like replacement, Jack Crowley is probably, is, well, is more similar I would say than Johnny Sexton so um, it's a big call I mean what is he 23 he's only had a handful of caps to be going into the deep end but everything that we've seen and we hear about him suggests that he'd be able to handle the pressure that would come with that so um, I think it's going to be very very interesting Will I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that you know Jack Crowley's had a good couple of weeks and Ross Byrne maybe hasn't his had his best couple of weeks that that all of a sudden means that he's the number two out half but I think the gap is certainly narrowed and I think it's a live debate. Absolutely, for sure, I think it's a live debate. Yeah, and those World Cup warm-up games will be very interesting to see who gets the nod and, and, and what game time is doled out. A few more Munster things before we, we touch on the squad, Luke. You know, Graham Roundtree leading Munster to the trophy kind of completes the set now from that 2015 England coaching staff. Like Andy Farrell and Mike Cat with the Grand Slam, Stuart Lancaster obviously involved in a lot of Leinster success, probably would have hoped for a few more. And now Graham Roundtree, like it's, it's an astonishing kind of this rugby kind of plot line that's been unfolding. Like if you'd gone back to 2015 and said that all these guys would end up leading all these Irish teams to big honors and big trophies, like it's it's mad. Like what what they've actually done for Irish rugby is pretty staggering. Yeah, it is. But I also think no, I think they've been pretty good actually for Irish rugby. I, I think Lancaster certainly has benefited from what what the the situation in Leinster. Like he that's certainly rehabil- rehabilitated his image, which was, um, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, you know, tarnished after that 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 home World Cup in England in fifteen, um, after the exit to Wales, and I think, um, yeah, he's certainly like. Look, I think he's always uh, that was an interesting one because it sounds like he was doing that director of rugby role, which it doesn't really sound like he's built for. He seems like he's more built for the day to day coaching kind of role, and Leinster was the perfect job for him. Roundtree, I think, was. It was an interesting one. It didn't seem like everyone was that inspired by him taking over that role. But I remember I, I, I said to you, well, like he was on our Lions tour in 2009 as a scrum coach. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like He's just a good guy. And it's funny if if you can, the challenge for someone who's like that, a little bit like Raj, actually, who's, look, Raj has a, has a nasty enough edge. Of course, Wig has a bit of a nasty edge too. You don't get to be a front rower in Leicester without having a nasty edge. But, you know, really nice guys, but they can also 
get people to believe in the project quite clearly. And I think what they've done is they've got the right people in around them as well. They've been really good at doing that. What that tells me is that they can instill belief in people to come on the project and think that they're going to be successful. And if you think like how, like Leamy leaving, uh, you know, that was a brilliant uh, coup to get. Now, I think maybe Leamy always thinks he's probably going back and wants to be closer to home maybe. But I still think he could have easily been settled in Leinster. And, and you know, that that's a place where you could see yourself having belief and really, you know, enhancing your your CV, you know, and it gives you options to go anywhere for the probably if you've been at Leinster. Um, so going to Munster was was probably a big call, even though it's going home and it's where the heart is for him. So he was able to do that. Prendergast obviously is a brilliant bit of business, um, you know, bringing him home as well. But he must have been able to sell that project pretty good, you know, so um, to keep all these guys around him. And I think that's been the key for him is that he's had good people there. The, the, co- the players like him. Like, I think that's really important because if you're good, if you're anyway good and the players like you, you know, then it's just about having a vision and, and getting everyone to move in the same direction. And, you know, he's been brave all year. There's been some tough days out for him and I think he's still gone out in front of the media. You could see he was hurting. Um, but it was so good to see the relief coming over his face. And it's always nice to, to see one for the good guys, if you know what I mean. He's, he is one of those people you'd, you'd want him to do well and um, that's been the most pleasing aspect of this for me is seeing someone that I know who is, is, is a good guy, but I didn't know how good a coach he was because it just, what do I know about scrums? But uh, <laughs> I knew he was a good guy. What I also think has been really important as well, and it reminds me of when Andy Farrell took over from Joe Schmidt, like Andy Farrell had a front row seat for things that didn't quite go well, that didn't quite work. And I think Graham Rowntree had a similar thing with Johan Van Gran, whereas you know, it's easy kind of to, I think people, some people might have been going, well, they absolutely were for Andy Farrell, that it's a bit too close to home. It's going to be a continuation of Joe Schmidt where absolutely it hasn't been, you know. And I think that's been very similar to to Graham Rowntree for all the reasons that I outlined earlier in terms of the game plan, trusting the younger players. I think he saw what didn't work. So he took the good parts of what was there under Johan van Grand, but he's put his own stamp in it. And like you said, he's got good guys around him and facilitated them, allowed them to go and put their own stamp on things as well. So I think that that's been really important. And I think as well, to tie in with that point, Keen, I think the concern always was that because it didn't seem like Munster had gotten any closer really to, to getting back to where they were, the cons- that it was more concerning than the Joe Schmidt and Andy Farrell one because... It, Tweaks always felt like the right way to go with the Joe the Joe thing because look, Leinster, like Ireland had been unbelievably successful with Joe, even though a very disappointing World Cup. They had been really, really successful under him. So that always felt like tweaks were probably appropriate. Whereas with Munster, I think the concern at the start was that mm, hiring someone from who like who's been in the setup there is like, do we need more? Do we need a bigger change? And it probably just shows you is that even if you think you're far away, you're probably never as far away as you think. And adding a few choice pieces into the setup, um, having your own views, and as you say, seeing what maybe I, I think maybe what's been very important um, and probably was a big concern about you know hiring someone who had been in the setup was that the selection policies and realizing that there needed to be a change there. And like, they just had had no trust in what was coming behind, but clearly quite clearly there's, pl- there's still cl- plenty of homegrown talent there in Munster that they can rely on. And that can, you know, can deliver on a big stage, but had never got enough consistent opportunities. And he was brave enough to stick with those guys all the way through and go out in front of the media after some of their tough days and take it on the chin and take the pressure off them um, and put the pressure on when it was appropriate as well, knowing that they needed to be better and could be better. So it's been a really impressive year for him, Will and and Keen. I think. The Munster supporters, he's the, I, I always felt, and, and, and you'll notice from what I was talking about him all the way through, Will, is that he's a good guy. I think he suits Munster well. He's kind of a humble guy. I think he'll go down well. Uh, you know, if you think about the Munster attitude and, and what, what makes it such a great club, is that it's a, it's a family club. You know, it's a, you know, lots of people go to our, like our kind of religious supporters will be in Thomond Park, even through Thick and Thin and Musgrave Park, uh, sorry, Independent Park. I better make sure I say that here, actually. Um, But, you know, I think, um, yeah, I, I think he's the perfect guy for that. He comes from that over in Leicester as well. He'll know, like, I always think those two clubs are very, very similar, as I think Leicester are similar to, to them as well. And, um yeah, I think he really would have bought into that, and I think he'd be a good personality for, for for Munster. So it'll be interesting to see what comes next year for him. Like you know, the World Cup was obviously a little bit of you know it, it does interrupt things, but it probably doesn't interrupt things as much for him as it does for say Leinster. So he might be able to really you know um, 
capitalize on these gains and, and build in some kind of nice foundations to, to kick on next season. So we, we wait and see on that. Uh, I think that's going to be the big challenge for him now. Can he can he do that? Can this coaching team, can this can this uh, this Munster squad, can they kick on? It also makes me think that the last couple of years were a huge missed opportunity. Like I know, I'm not just saying this because they won the league at the weekend. As I said, even if they had lost, I was really impressed with how they were progressing, the, the way they were playing, what they were building. It just felt like every year was Groundhog Day in this podcast. Keen, I mentioned at the start, the first time you were coming on for like a pause. I feel like every year ended the same. And as you said, they weren't getting any closer. The selection policy, the style of play. Young Graham was there for four and a half years. Like, I felt like after two and a half years, he probably had a pretty good idea what he brought to the party and what he didn't. And I'm not just saying this, as I said, because Munster now won the league. And I'm saying, oh, they should have got rid of him a lot sooner. But I think people were saying this at the time. Like, I think they were crying out for a change long before that. And it just makes me feel like, the squad that they had, you know, weren't best served. Like that with, with the new voices, with a Mike Prendergast coming in. Now, in fairness, Stephen Larkin, when he was appointed, people thought that would be good. It just never really clicked for whatever reason. But it just makes me feel like this this could have kick started two years ago and they would have been in a much better place. Well, like it, it's probably worth remembering that if Johan van Graan hadn't uh, triggered his release clause, he'd still be the Munster head coach. Like, you know, that's not to bring the mood down, but that's the reality of the situation. So Munster were probably a bit fortunate, really, that he did. That Bath came along with a wheelbarrow full of cash and said, come over here and, and live in, what did he call it, a, a true rugby city, which I know didn't really go down well that well in Limerick. But like that was a blessing in disguise for Munster, you'd have to say, really. So it, it does feel like the last couple of years were a, a bit wasted. But look, in year one of the Roundtree project, you can't say that he hasn't built on some of the foundations that have been have been there. And to be fair, look, I don't think Johan van Graan was the right fit for Munster, but he was a decent fella and like he did put his heart and soul into into Munster but it just didn't it just didn't work out and obviously you'd wish him well uh in, in going to Bath you know he, he obviously was there this season but they're looking to rebuild next season but from to bring it back to Munster like you know we're talking about what happens next and we're talking about the Champions Cup and you know they've done unbelievably well because I be, would be the first to put my hand up and admit that I didn't think that Munster were going to win anything on until they addressed their front row issues in particular and I think just a tip of the hat to Jeremy Lockman, Dermot Barron, like Stephen Archer, who Luke has touched Archer on. Archer was unbelievable. He was unbelievable against Leinster as well. Yeah, he's been pretty I, good. I don't think I've that. seen him have a better game than he had against Leinster. He was, and last, finally, he was unbelievable. He played back-to-back uh, 80 minutes in the on the previous trip to South Africa as well when he was just back from injury. So, look, I think that's unbelievable and fair play. John Ryan is coming back from New Zealand um, at the end of the season, uh, or during the summer, I should say. But, they're not the future. And I do think, you know, Munster, people behind the scenes, whoever making the decisions can't lose sight of the fact that I still think they need reinforcements in that front row, that the winning the URC can't kind of paper over whatever cracks there are. So, um, Baron actually looked like a bit of a, he, he was, he was brilliant on the weekend. I thought, you know, and I think very good. Very good. But no, that was a nice little find. Your your tight head situation though isn't the most ideal in terms of the the age profile. Like Keenan Knox just seems to have fallen off this season, and Roman Salanoa kind of feels like you're constantly waiting for him to come through, even though he did have a couple of decent cameos. So look, I just think if Munster, uh, which and I agree with Luke, made the point that they should be talking about Heineken Cups going into next season. If that is the case, then I do still think they need a couple of more players. Whether or not they're going to be able to get them in this summer in terms of budgets and all that, we'll have to wait and see. But I do still think, um, in particular, the front row is an area that they, they probably need to look at going forward if they want to get back to, to winning Heineken Cups. And one of the points you made at the start, like that first Leinster Munster fixture next year is going to be very, very tasty. I'm already looking forward to that. Stevens Day, we... or no, it won't be Stevens Day, it'll be in October. Yeah, I'd say Leinster will have a, a strong team out for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suspect. Let, let's move on to the Ireland squad then, Luke. I know there's a lot of kind of crossover between some of the Munster guys who, who maybe didn't get picked. Um, Andy Farrell named 42 players today. A little smaller, I think, than, than some people had suspected, Um, you know, for the training squad. You know, some people who didn't make it that maybe people thought might. Robert Balakoon missed out. No, Joey Carberry, John Klein, Jeremy Lockman, Jordan Larmer, John Hodnett, Shane Daly, among fellas who were on the outside looking in. What did you make of it? Yeah, a few of them were a bit odd, weren't they? I mean, I thought that the, tr- yeah, the Treadwell one was probably the most surprising, I, I thought. I thought, like, 
much as I've been a, like like I, I thought Klein I thought definitely deserved off the back of his finish to the season to at least be in that squad particularly when you think of how Ulster finished their season you know um so that was a bit of a surprise um I think everyone else yeah I mean I could kind of understand it um I mean I probably I, I think that Larmer's push was probably a little bit too late I think he's still unlucky um you know, and I was I was disappointed for him. I think he's uh, he's come back into some form, Will, and he's you know he is dangerous. He does give you something different, but I don't know if he re- has a realistic chance of getting in there. I, I think Stockdale is very surprising ahead of even Balakoon, but definitely ahead of um, Larmer too. I, I don't think he deserves to be in there really, uh, based on based on his form. I just haven't seen enough out of him, but he probably gets in on you know just his pure physicality. I'm sure Andy Farrell likes that. Like he's a very big man and he's very quick. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I thought that was a bit surprising. Do you know, I was a little bit, uh, I thought Daly, Shane Daly was, can, can definitely be a little bit disappointed as well. That, that's probably another body who you're kind of thinking, God, that was a good finish to the season. You know, maybe it might even be worth seeing how he trains for the first couple of weeks. But clearly, he must be quite far away from, from Andy Farrell's thoughts. I mean, he's obviously not bringing people in for the sake of bringing them in, which, look, I can see the value in that. Um, and I think as well, the province is now... Provinces training in the summer is brilliant too. Like it's really, really good. Like the the training in Ireland is very, very high level. So I think he can still. This isn't the end for everyone who hasn't been selected. I think there there generally is someone who might come from quite far away. Maybe if there's a few injuries in a certain area, um, who who could come in. But um, he's obviously picked people or hasn't picked people who he thinks are just just too far away to make it in. Um, and maybe he thinks Klein's style of play just doesn't suit how fast they want to play. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of, think of with picking Treadwell ahead of him, and maybe the, the the New Zealand tour played a part in that. But that seems like a long time ago, Will, to be to be picking Treadwell on that form. So um, everyone else, I think, probably isn't that much of a surprise, is it? Um, you know, I think um, it's a strong team, isn't it? We've got we've actually like I look at that there and and look at the squad. Very, very impressive. Lots of people playing well. Lots of people who will be pushing for starting berths. And I don't think there's many places, probably four or five in that team, which are really locked down. Everywhere else, you're kind of thinking, mm, you know, someone could have a bolter. Someone could have... And and if the, the, the person who has started the last game, you know, goes down, there is really, really good backup behind them. Like, it's it's a deep squad. Like, I think this, this team has a, has a chance if they can hit the ground running, which is going to be the big challenge, having not really played many competitive games versus, say, the Southern Hemisphere teams who'll probably play some some uh, some competitive rugby a lot sooner or a lot closer to the World Cup. That's always the big advantage for them, I think, with a World Cup at this stage of the year. Um, that's going to be the challenge. Can they hit the ground running and, and continue that form that they showed in the Six Nations? Um, but there's certainly lots of depth in there, and they're a team that everyone, I think, will fear. Um, I think I don't think anyone will want to come up against the Ireland team. They're they're playing great rugby, and um, you know, even though you know Leinster didn't win the Hiding Cup, they came bloody close without playing that great for about sixty minutes. Um, so they're still pretty formidable. And obviously, Munster won the the URC, so they'll be brimming with confidence. Lots of players who've just had success recently, uh, and that's always something that you want to have coming into a big tournament. Yeah, it's a lot. Always said that Andy Farrell doesn't hand out cheap caps, and he hasn't really handed out many cheap places in the training squad either. Like keeping it quite tight. Like I, I think a lot of people were expecting it to be maybe 43, 44, maybe even forty five players. And if you actually go through the squad, thirty three players end up going. It's probably about twenty six or twenty seven who who are almost nailed on just from previous squads. So you're kind of just debating the fringe players who might not make a huge impact at a World Cup realistically, but it's still kind of a fun debate to have. And Keen, like you know, Luke mentioned a few guys there. Like if I'm Shane Daly today. I'm thinking I'm starting ahead of Keith Earls week in, week out. I'm playing great rugby. We just won the league. And yet I'm on the outside looking in. And I know Keith Earls is... Like, if Keith Earls isn't on 98 caps, is he included in that squad? I I, I don't know if he would be. Like, I, I feel like this is kind of a, a bit of a sentimental call. Like, I, I don't see him form-wise this season. I know he's had injuries, but I I don't know. I don't know about that one either. If he, say he gets back to full fitness, is he a guy that you'd be thinking like he still has the pace? That's always the thing at his age. Like everything else is. Oh, sorry to interrupt. What What do you think, Keen? No, I, I don't. I don't think it's sentimental whatsoever. To be honest, um, I think Shane Daly can feel hard done by, but I think we saw the value of Keith Earls even in the the semi final against Leinster. He came off the bench last weekend and had a really good impact as well. Um, I think back to. 
New Zealand last summer and you know he captained the the second midweek game he's a really important figure in the squad he scored the try of course in the first test having played what was it three or four days earlier in the first Maori All Blacks game as well so he's a really important figure in the squad Will um, I wouldn't be writing him off um, at all I even see today uh, Mike Prendergast potentially talking about Keith Earls playing on until next season with Munster I don't know if that would be the case because I think he's had the the fitting send-off that that he probably deserved in terms of um, his monster career. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't agree that it's, it's sentimental whatsoever. I think he's there because he's been a valued member of the squad for so many years. I still think he's got plenty to offer. And t- in terms of Shane Daly, he's actually, like, the, the irony of him being left out is he's actually, like, the prototype Andy Farrell winger. Like, he reminds me quite a bit of Mac Hansen, the way he drifts in off his wing. He gets involved. He's a really good playmaker. He used to play in the centre. He's played a bit of full black. He has that sevens background as well. Um, I think he's been one of the most improved players uh, this season. But obviously, Calvin Nash is one of the four uncapped players, and he's very similar to him. So he's probably gotten in there ahead of him and Shane Daly has been capped before as well so I think you can definitely make the case for and Luke has done it for several guys there but I don't think you could say much of it is surprising really um you're right Balakoon, Robert Balakoon a bit unlucky like I feel like Balakoon I know he's Balakoon had an injury hit season his form wasn't great but like he's paid he's paid the price uh Will for Ulster's non-existent attack is what I would say like Ulster are like everything about them is based around the mall I'd be so frustrated if I was an outside back in that Ulster team I think that the Ulster attack has gone stale um, but he was the only guy that looked like a threat there Keane like if you think about that match against Connacht Stockdale is in the Stockdale squad has been, right. yeah that Stockdale seemed like a mad one to me ahead of Balakoon particularly when if you just think about just pure danger like the, the, the Balakoon break was what got Ulster back into that game at the end and, and you know, had them pushing that the, the Connor team having been pretty you know toothless for, for, for most of the game whereas yeah the Stockdale one baffles me to be honest I think he's gone Stockdale because he's a like for like replacement well as close to it as for James Lowe in terms of that left boot and stuff even though if James Lowe was out you'd imagine Jimmy O'Brien would slot in there but I agree on Balakoon I think like I actually thought um that I was having a conversation a few months ago and I actually thought uh, come the start of the World Cup, and this is going back a while, that Robert Balakoon could probably be Ireland's, one of Ireland's starting wingers. Like he, He's that good. but um, And I agree, he has been dangerous. But over the course of the season, Ulster just haven't used him enough. And it was jarring to see in that Connacht game because you can see what threat, and everyone knows what threat he offers, but their game plan just hasn't been built around getting guys like him involved. Like you think of back to James Hume. I mean, people were talking about him potentially challenging Gary Ringrose for his position uh, a year ago, and he's fallen off the face of the earth now as well. He's nowhere nowhere near the squad, you'd have to say. So look, I'd imagine guys like Balakoon and Larmer have been put on the standby list. Obviously, we're, we're not privy to what that is, but I'd have no doubt that a good chunk of lads are being told to stay fit, keep your phone on. Like the World Cup being on in France is obviously not like uh, Japan. You know, guys can come in and out far, far easier than was the case uh, four years ago. So while it's definitely possible that someone not in the 42-man squad could still make it in it is a long way back you'd have to say and I agree with what your point will I think if everyone is fit the majority of that 33-man squad which I think will be picked on August 28th is fairly set in stone obviously there's scope for one or two three lads to to make it in but I think the majority of it um, is already picked in Andy Farrell's head and look that's no bad thing that's coming off the back of Ireland winning a grand slam you know if Ireland had had a disastrous six nations like take Wales for example I think they have a 54-man training squad because they don't know they're left from the right. Like they're really scratching around trying to find um any thoughts, by the way. Sorry that I know this is a real left field, but what about the two guys um retiring? Jones, yeah. Is that is that did that sound like bad blood or that was weird, very, no? Very strange. One after another on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um Gatlin rang them up and said, Listen, sorry, lads, not for you. That, I or, presume, I, that's what I presume that he told them they weren't coming. Took them like, out the back and, and the, the tent came out and the bullet they put the bullet in the head. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? But this is what I mean. Like Wales, like don't really know what they're doing. You know, fifty-four players in a training squad, whereas Ireland have gone forty-two because I think they're confident and comfortable in who they have at their disposal. And that's no bad thing either, Will, because like you said, he doesn't hand out cheap caps. He doesn't want to hand out cheap places. So 
you'd absolutely rather be in Ireland's place. Um, what is it? A hundred days, I think, now out from the start of the World Cup, rather than Wales trying to find um what they're doing. Really, you know. One thing that does jump out looking at that squad, Luke, is that like. At full back, like if Hugo Keenan was to get injured, there's no like out and out full back. Like just people keep saying Matt Hansen is the second full back, Matt Hansen this, Matt Hansen that. And like maybe he is. Jimmy O'Brien can play a lot of positions. Jimmy O'Brien. Jimmy O'Brien yeah, is definitely Jimmy yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like that that's a huge area I would say that Ireland could be exposing, given how reliant mm. they've been on Keenan, given how many starts he's gotten Ronnie Farrell, and given how little other fullbacks have played. And even at fullback, Jimmy O'Brien hasn't I know he can't play there, but he doesn't really play there that often for Leinster anymore. No, he doesn't, you're right. But I, I, I still think he's I think he's a really good player. I really like him. And I think he could play he could fit in. He looks like a big looks like kind of a big match player too. He's got a good mentality, you know, he's quite calm. He's a nice ball player. Um He's not going to be like for like for, with Keenan, but he, he's pretty damn good, I think. Um, you could also put low in there if you were stuck. If say you went, you know, if your if your two outside back subs went down, if you had an absolute nightmare and and you, and you were down to your third and you had to play someone, you know, you could move you can move him back there. You could move Henshaw back there. There is options for this team. You could move Ringrose to the wing, or you could move. Um, you, you could move. But all of those like, options are very, I would say, disruptive. No, no I'm talking about a last ditch scenario. But my like for like would definitely be Jimmy O'Brien. I think, uh, it, it honestly, will I think he's got the pace. I think he can you know they need a ball player um to for, for this game plan and um yeah i like o'brien i that, just that'll be i i think he's i rate him highly enough to think that it's not going to be the same as keenan but keenan's one of the best players you know yeah i think keenan's one of the best players in the world actually i think he's brilliant i think keenan's class he didn't show much at the end of the season i don't think but during the six nations he i think the last you know he talked about his tackling it was interesting um, I think his tackling was unbelievable in the in, in the Six Nations. It was the last thing that I was a little bit concerned about with him. Everything else, his kicking, his you know, his positioning, his his ability to release his wingers, uh, his fitness, just his general fitness. He seems to be in the right place at the right time. Kind of a bit like a Bowden Barrett for me. Seems to be the guy at the end of a long play who's making the uh, you know the 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 you know he's outpacing the 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 opposition winger after a scrappy ball kick through. He's the guy that touches it down. He's a key player for Ireland. But I think Jimmy O'Brien is pretty close to that. Um, and I think we'd be okay if he went down. We wouldn't be the same, but we'd be okay. Just on a similar similar theme to, to that, I think um, the backup to Josh van der Fleer is very, very interesting because, okay, you know that Peter O'Mahony can go and play seven, but I'm kind of thinking of the Romania and the Tongan, Tonga game. Like, If Josh van der Fleer isn't playing and you don't want your first choice back row to be playing, then... That means that Caelan Doris, who can obviously play seven as well, isn't going to be playing. Peter O'Mahony isn't going to be playing because they might want him to be resting him for the South Africa game. So I'm kind of looking at the squad there and I'm going, who's playing open side if your first choice back row are sitting it out? And I don't see anyone obvious there. I don't know what you guys Mike think. Byrne. But again, he's your first choice yeah. lock. So I don't see who's who's your open side in, in that squad. Yeah, but he doesn't have to be your first choice lock, and you've got Baird as well, you know, to to fill in that six role. So I think Omahani does become that seven. I but think not he has in a to. game like Romania, like when he's on. But I think I, I see now. I think there's something to learn from this, um, uh, from um, uh, this finish Lentford. to the season that Munster had. Mm. I think you've got to be really careful about resting too many guys because remember. The Northern Hampshire teams are going to have to play themselves into some form. They're going to have to do that. They're just not going to have played a competitive match in quite a while before this. I know they've got the warm-ups, but they're just everyone's shagged in those ones. They're, you know, it's your first get, it's your first run, and no matter how fit you are, you're just going to be tired. They're going to be scrappy games. Um I, I don't know. I, I, I would be cautious about complete wholesale changes. I think they're better off maybe playing a few guys again in that one, depending on who's who hasn't played themselves into form or who's not playing well. You might actually end up having to play someone in that game and take a risk with an injury would be my view. So I'd be cautious about saying you know wholesale changes. Think about how Munster finished this thing up here, lads. Uh, I think there's a lesson there um, compared to what Leinster did where their guys were coming in cold. Now, Ireland traditionally have done the other way. But Ireland have traditionally done that at the World Cup and it hasn't paid off for us, I, I, I don't think. I, I think you're better off maybe playing guys a little bit earlier and playing them more. Um, won't be a popular thing to say, but... It's a fair uh, point. Know. No, it absolutely yeah. is. It, Anything that's different from other World Cups is something worth exploring, <laughs> I think. You're, you're right. saying yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think there is something in that, guys. I, I've been giving this a bit of thought the last while. And Andy Farrell, I remember, it was it the 2021 November? They played Japan, New Zealand, and Argentina. I think he went with basically the same team all three weeks, which is unusual for November. Um, he has kind of done stuff like that before. So, yeah, it, it's Andy Farrell's first World Cup as a head coach, too. And given the kind of 
uh, little tweaks, as you said, Luke, he's made to how he's prepared the team. It'll be interesting to see, having been at one World Cup with Ireland as an assistant, one with England as, a, as an assistant, both of which went terribly, you'd have to say, what he does now as the head man. Um, I know well, you it's can probably use guys, you, can, you, you can use the 50-minute mark, the 55-minute mark, Will. You can kind of get going. You know, that doesn't completely knacker you you know that kind of way look you can't you can't completely manage people away from from injuries like i think sexton's the only guy i think look just given his age and his injury profile he'll be coming back you, you got to be cautious with him and he's proven that he can come back in cold like consistently but everyone else i don't know i i, I just be a little bit worried about wrapping people in cotton wool i, I think you want to be battle hardened if you're coming into those weeks just just stay off the feet in the training week you prepare this team know they, they'll have so long together that they'll know the game plan inside out it's just it's actually just having the, the 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 feel of the game and the 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 game fitness, I think, to deliver it uh, in the key moments will probably be more important for the Northern Hemisphere teams. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just thought it was an important point. There is that rest week built into the World Cup as well. For the first time, teams will have like a full week off. So for Ireland, it's Romania-Tonga, or which I can't remember the order. Romania, Romania-Tonga, South Africa, break week. Scotland, then into the knockout stages if, if Ireland get that far. So that'll be another maybe time to get some downtime or to, or to plan around. Just before we finish up, guys, last question I want to ask both of you. And since it's 100 days out to the tournament, it ties in beautifully. Very early World Cup prediction for Ireland, Keane. The, the, the training squad has been named. We can revisit predictions later on before the World Cup, before the next game and the next game. But what's your gut feeling telling you now, you know, after watching the, how the, the season unfolded, seeing the training squad as we kind of go off on our metaphorical podcast holidays? How do you think Ireland will do? Do you think they'll finally get past the quarterfinal? Ireland going all the way. Oh, love it. Love it. <laughs> I was gonna say that's not what you said to me outside the studio last week. <laughs> no, like, no. <laughs> that was off the record, Will. Um no, look, my my gut still tells me like look, this is the hardest draw Ireland have ever had in terms of if they get to the quarter final, they're going to be playing New Zealand or France. Um like and I totally agree, and I've made this point before. Totally agree with what Luke has has made the point about the rugby championship, and I feel like people forget that the rugby championship is going to dominate over the next couple of months in terms of the summer, and so much of what people see the World Cup is going to be viewed through what happened in the rugby championship because all of a sudden the the Grand Slam feels like even longer ago. So um, my point is, I guess, like a lot of people are kind of writing off New Zealand now, which is a dangerous kind of thing to do, but they have a rugby championship to play themselves back into form. I know it's not a vintage squad, but still wouldn't fancy your chances coming up against them in a World Cup quarterfinal. So look, I would love to say Ireland to get past the quarterfinal, but I still see it as being very, very difficult. I can imagine um, some uh, casualties being come, coming into account in terms of after that South Africa game in the pool. I know they have a, a week off, but um, that could be a really damaging game in terms of losing bodies. You'd hope not, but um, yeah, look, hopefully they can get past the quarterfinal, but like it's, it's going to be so, so tough. So that's a no from you, uh, Luke. Ireland to win the World Cup, like I said. With. Um, I was wondering would I go out of character and be quite bullish. Um, Just be careful in case you haven't, if you've said something to Will off the record because he'll out you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've kind of been saying for the last year and a half that we won't get by the quarterfinal, but... I think we will. I think we will. I, I th- and I just hope that Ireland... If they do that, if they get past that quarterfinal, I think it's, I think it's on for them. I think, and I and I hope they just, I hope they don't build that up too much, kind of a la Leinster and La Rochelle, where they just blow themselves out in the first twenty five minutes and they got nothing left. I would um, be concerned after watching what I watched in the Viva two weeks ago. Like that would be a major concern about how they rock up mentally for a quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I look. I think they can do it. Like Munster have showed it. They've enough. There's enough. You know, experienced guys from Munster who delivered under pressure. Leinster have done it previously with loads of guys too. So, um, I just think they probably overdid it for La Rochelle. It's a kind of a weird fixture for Leinster now. It's become a real bogey fixture for them. Um, and also they're brilliant. So we gotta, we always gotta remember that. Like we're writing off Ross Byrne and all these things as well. Like La Rochelle are are, are unbelievable. Like they're a brilliant rugby team. And um, so you know. Let's be cautious on that one too. Um, I, I I do think I I'm going to say Ireland get past. Um, I'm going to put. I, I'm, I I hate this. I, I hate predicting these things so hard. But um, yeah, I think Ireland go go to the. I think Ireland might go to the final. I think Ireland go to the final. I think I'm going to say Ireland to win. I think they've got enough good subs. Win the World Cup. 
I think Ireland are going to win the World Cup. I, I was worried about uh, Tyke Furlong. I think, um, I, you know me, I'm, I'm always the, 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 the doomsday, you know, yeah. Will. I, I rarely have a, a, have a, have a positive prediction. Um, but I, you think about the Ireland team, like Finley Bealham is playing brilliant. Tighthead's not a concern anymore. Um, you know, I think maybe, you know, I, I, Keane Healy, I, I still think there's legs in him. I thought that was a mistake not to play him against Munster. I thought he made a big impact when he came on. It's not going to be the same as Porter, but I'm not as concerned about that. Hooker, we're very strong. Uh, if Henderson gets back fit, we're, we're strong in the row. We've got loads of options in the back row. I love what I'm seeing from, I thought Ross Byrne, look, the final, he got a lot of flack for, but that was a tricky last 60 minutes. If anyone watched that properly as a, as a back, as a back who knows what's going on. His options were completely depleted. He was under pressure. His pack were going backwards. At the end of the game, he got a lot of flack for it. But I actually thought, if you look back on it, um, the, op- the, the, op- the opportunity didn't really present itself. But leaving that aside, I thought um, Crowley looked brilliant. Um, so if even if that doesn't work out, he looks class. And he looks like he's built for the big stage. We've options in the center. Connor Murray I mean, is playing brilliant as well, Luke. Connor Murray's playing very well. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I think, you know... I think we've got enough backup. I, I, I just think it's whether they can deliver the game plan. It's funny, like, you know, you, you say win the World Cup, we all laugh. But if you did, like, a blind taste test, covered the names of the team, and if you were just looking at it, like, if you didn't, if you weren't Irish and just kind of objectively going through the teams, after what Ireland have achieved in the squad they have, you would be thinking, this team, why couldn't they go and win a World Cup? The two teams that worry me with Ireland, um, you know, New Zealand are always a trap. But leave, uh, I still think if you look at the the, 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 the names on a, on a team sheet, it's still France at home. It's still South Africa with a full with a full contingent. Um, they're the ones that worry you. And South Africa and, and France are the most similar to La Rochelle. And Leinster, you know, do make up the body of you know a good portion of this Ireland team. So they're the they're the main concerns. I think if it's a fast paced game, I don't think anyone will want to play Ireland in a fast paced game. I think they might be slightly better than New Zealand. And sorry, New Zealand only know how to play that. That's how they play rugby. Um, but I don't think. I don't. I I think that plays into Ireland's hands now, which it never has against a New Zealand team. Uh, I think if it's a fast-paced game, Ireland actually probably have more weapons than them. Um, maybe not the athletes, but definitely more weapons. The pack is better suited to throwing the ball around, and are super super fit. Um, biggest challenge for them is can they get match fit quickly and battle Ireland? I think. Well, my my hundred day prediction is Ireland to get to the final as well. That's I so it's two to is one. It? What happens in the final though? You like you can't just say gets to the final. Why not? <laughs> I've said the win. My That's what I was reading. I was wondering if they could go the whole way. I I think they could beat England. It's probably England, isn't it? If Ireland win and get to a final, and if say if they're playing France in the Stade of France, and Jacko Piper's the referee, got it. I just say who knows what's gonna happen. Like I gonna see, I gonna see. Him Don't even over. bother watching. <laughs> uh, no, but like here, like it's it set up to be an unbelievable couple of months. Obviously, it's going to be a bit of downtime now in the World Cup warm start. The squad is announced off to France then for the pools and then hopefully into the knockouts. But for now, we're going to take a little bit of a sabbatical for the, for the next while. I'd like to thank Luke and Keane for joining me tonight and across the season. Thanks to all the guests who joined us as well. We'll be back later on in the summer looking ahead to the World Cup warm up games. In the meantime, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen to independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.